I want to start this morning with a question, an assignment. I want you, in your own mind's eye, to picture heaven. And I'm going to stop and allow you to do that for just a moment. I want you to picture heaven. Now, if you're going to take a snapshot of heaven in your mind, again, I'm hoping you're doing this right now. You are seeing heaven in your mind's eye. What is it? What is it? The reason I ask is because your picture of heaven in your mind oftentimes is affected, I think, more by our culture than by the Bible. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to raise your hands for this. But how many of you had a picture of perhaps clouds, angels, wings, floating through space? Right. That is a popular conception of heaven. I asked a few of you before. Thank you, Ben. I asked a few of you before. What came into your mind when you thought of heaven? And do you know what they said? Gold streets. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you thought of gold streets? How many of you thought of bejeweled walls and gates, just beautiful gates? How many of you thought of depictions of nature, a beautiful, redeemed earth? How many of you didn't know anything to picture. You just couldn't picture it. It was just empty. You have no idea how to picture heaven. Now again, in our culture and in our world, heaven, that word heaven means so many different things to so many different people. And when we're twisted in our minds about what heaven is or is not, we will lead to spectacular errors. Have you ever heard someone tell you, uh, from everything that I hear of heaven, I don't want to go there. I'd rather be in hell. That sounds a lot more fun. In fact, Mark Twain, the, very, the, the famed American author, said, Dying man couldn't make up his mind which place to go to. Both have their advantages. Heaven for climate, hell for company. Now, what an incredibly foolish thing to say when we understand what the Bible has to say about these things. Others, even who believe, who are believers, who are Christians, present this kind of fantastical heaven that is like one big amusement park for us. There's actually a popular book on heaven where the author takes his, a, a travel guide to heaven. And he says this, paradise is, quote, Disney World, Hawaii, Paris, Rome, and New York all rolled up into one. He calls it the ultimate playground created purely for our enjoyment. Now, is that, was that your picture that came into mind when you thought of heaven? Today, in our secular and increasingly materialistic world, we don't think about heaven as a place where God is. We think of it as a place where we will be restored, a therapeutic kind of thing. One commentator said, for some of these writers, heaven has nothing to do with pleasure. It is the place where you listen to your inner child, repair your self-esteem, and finally reach closure. That would be a popular view of what an afterlife would actually be. 
And then, of course, we go into the Eastern religions that view heaven as a state of mind, a kind of nirvana that we may ultimately reach, a kind of consciousness just of peace and rest and harmony with everything. The question is, what is heaven? And what is heaven not? And to guide our thinking on this subject, not just this week, but over the next several weeks, I want to park in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 and 22 are the most comprehensive revelation of what heaven actually will be like, what the life after death will actually be like. And we need to ground ourselves here. And to do this, I want to focus on one phrase that God himself proclaims. If you have your Bibles, look with me in verse number 3 of chapter 21. Scripture says, I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, listen here, Behold, I make all things new. Notice he said all things, not some things. All things. All things new. And if you look through chapter 21, you see a progression of what God is making new. Look with me at verse 21, excuse me, at verse 1 of chapter 21. What is the new thing that he is talking about in verse 1? A new what? A new heaven and a new earth. What new thing is he talking about in verse 2? A new city, a new Jerusalem. What is he talking about in verse number three and verse number four? I would say a new reality of God dwelling with us and us having a perfectly restored human existence. And I want to look at each one of these things over the next several weeks. A new heaven and a new earth, a new city, a new reality, a new existence for all of us to have with God. And I want to start this morning with a message I'm going to title, A New Heaven and a new earth, a new heaven, and a new earth. What does that mean? To say that our life eternal will be in a new heaven and a new earth. Let's start, first of all, with what I'm going to call earth replaced. Earth replaced. Scripture says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now, theologians have struggled with the concept of heaven to say, will earth fundamentally be removed and replaced, or will fundamentally it be rehabilitated and restored? Now, you can understand the thinking, perhaps, if you've ever worked on a house. We would all agree there's a big difference between knocking down a house and building a new one, And between gutting the inside of a house and restoring it or rehabilitating it. Right? So the question is, is God going to remove and replace 
the heaven and earth like a house is knocked down and rebuilt? Or will he simply kind of remodel and renovate the one that we have now? Let's try to answer that question first so we can have a perspective in our mind of what this new earth is going to be like. And let's start first with what has happened to this old earth, to the first heaven and the first earth. Go back with me to chapter 20, just back across the chapter divide. In chapter 20, we see depicted the great thousand-year reign of Jesus, when Jesus is going to come back with his raptured people, his saved born-again people to judge and rule over the earth for a thousand years. And we believe that's going to be a literal 1,000 years in which Jesus is going to reign on the earth and restore parts of the curse to show us how earth should have been run. And then we see a depiction of Satan being released, if you will, from his prison, gathering together those that even to that day have rebelled against God, resulting in the great climactic battle of all the ages between good and evil and righteousness and wickedness. And God prevails. The devil is cast into the lake of fire, into the pit of hell for eternity to be tortured for all the evil that he has brought to mankind. And look with me at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. We don't know much about that other than that it's going to be huge, it's going to be white, and it's going to be a throne because it will be the place of judgment. And I saw him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. Again, picture this. A a great giant throne on which God himself is sitting, coming down, and earth and heaven disappear. It's like they're playing hide and seek. They cannot stand before the presence of God himself. Again, this picture is one of judgment, God's judgment. And then we read in 21 verse 1 that the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now let me ask you, does that sound like the first heaven and earth are being removed and replaced or rehabilitated and restored? What does that just sound like to you? Contemplate that. Notice what was involved in Scripture calling this earth utterly passed away, fled away from the face of God and from his judgment. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 35. You don't have to turn here, but you might just want to jot a Scripture reference. Maybe you put it in your Bible just as kind of a railroad tracks to take you there by this passage. Scripture says, heaven and earth, these are Jesus' words, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Do you see the picture? Jesus is saying everything we see around us, earth and sky, are going to pass away in contrast to my words that will never pass away. One will stay and be permanent, one will be temporary and will be removed. Listen to this idea. Hebrews 1 verse 10 says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens, the skies, are the work, works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. 
And they all shall wax old, shall grow old as doth a garment, a piece of clothing. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. How many of you have had a, 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 a garment, a, clothe, a piece of clothing that just got old, that got worn out? It was that college t-shirt that you wore forever. It was that letter jacket from high school. It was that one particular thing that you loved for a while, and suddenly it just got old, and what did you do? You just put it up into a ball, and you threw it into the garbage. It was done. Or uh, maybe you took it to Goodwill. I don't know. Whatever you do with your old garments, that's what happens. And the picture here is that God's going to do the same thing to this earth. It's going to get old. It's going to be ready to be replaced. And God's going to fold it up like an old suit of clothes, and it's going to be done. Here's why I think another passage that will ultimately be the most helpful. 2 Peter 3. Again, write down this reference if you want to take and look at this at your time. Peter says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Why will the earth pass away? Because the judgment of God is going to fall on it in fire. Because the elements of this world itself will be melted at the great white throne judgment of God. Now my question is why? Why? And I want us to go back again to chapter 21 and verse 4. Scripture says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. And he explains this. Why? Because the former things are passed away. The old things, they're gone. They're done. And it is in this context that he says, Behold, I make all things New. Why did this old earth and old heaven need to be replaced? Because it could not be a vessel for God's new work. Friends, can you imagine how many tears have fallen down to this earth at a cemetery in which a loved one is being mourned? How many deaths? have been brought about by the unthinkable forces of our world today. Tornadoes, hurricanes, volcanoes, earthquakes. Everything that this world has the power to inflict on God's creation. Imagine all the blood of the murders that have been spilled on the ground throughout all of human history. And God says not only the people in the earth, but the earth itself in a sense, must be replaced. It must be purged by fire. I must make all things new because the former things, the crying, the tears, the sorrow, the pain, they have all passed away with that first earth and that first heaven. So again, in my view, the, the most fundamental way to think about this new heaven and earth is that it is replacing uh, if the old earth, the old heaven, what we experience here today, that will melt with the fervent heat. It will indeed be replaced. It will pass away. 
But I want to see secondly, and, and just it's so wonderful for me to think about, is earth redeemed. Not just earth replaced, but earth redeemed. It is a new heaven and a new earth. Now, there are at least three ways that we use heaven in the Bible. If I tell you to think about heaven, you're probably going to think about the heaven where God lives. We would call that in the Bible the third heaven. Scripture talks about Paul being caught up to that third heaven to get a vision of God's dwelling place. But there are really three heavens. And we need to understand which one this one is. The first heaven is the sky where the birds fly. It's the blue sky. The second heaven is space, the night sky, where the stars inhabit, the sun inhabits. The third heaven is the celestial heaven, where God dwells. So we need to think about this. When scripture says there will be a new heaven and a new earth, it's talking about a new sky. You get that? A new space continuum. It's going to be what we see when we look up. That's going to be new. In our eternal life. But it's not just a new heaven, a new sky, it's a new earth. Now, why is this important? We need to ask where is this heaven? This idea that we're going to fly away up to heaven and we're going to be floating around on clouds, flying like angels, strumming little harps, and singing worship songs all day. The Bible doesn't say that. Where is the new heaven and the new earth? Is the new heaven and the new earth up there or is it down here? Biblically, I believe it's down here. Do you know why? Because the first thing that he says is it's a new earth. And what's the thing that we identify with earth? Here. God wants us to see that what he has for us in the future has a connection to what we experience now. It's an earth. He's not taking us up to space. It's going to be material. It's going to be tangible. Think about what Jesus said. He commanded us to pray like this. He said, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Where? Here. Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven where you dwell. What is the great hope of every Christian? That one day God's will is going to be done perfectly down here, not just up there. Friends, what is that ultimately pointing to? An earth, a new earth that's down here, not up there. We have another contextual clue, I think. In Revelation 21.3, right here, Scripture says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Notice it does not say, we will dwell with God. It says, God will dwell with us. What is the focus of reference? Where we are. God will dwell with us. That's what the new earth and the new heaven will be. And not only that, look at verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming, what's the next word? Down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Coming down. You see, friends, what we need to understand is that heaven is not going up. The new heaven and the new earth is, in a sense, heaven coming down. It's going to be here, not up there. 
Now again, to be clear, do we know exactly where it's going to be in space? Do we know exactly how this is going to look? Of course not. The simple point is, don't think about heaven as being somewhere way off up there where you're going to dwell eternally. Where are you going to dwell eternally? Down here, and God's going to be living with you down here. That is the new earth. But not just that. What is this? Why does God call this a new earth? Again, this picture that we have of some ethereal place out there where we're just kind of floating around. It's nonsense. The Bible says that this new earth is going to be a tangible, material earth. It has things for us to touch. It has sights for us to see. It has things for us to taste. The Bible said there's going to be fruit from the tree of life that we're going to be able to partake of. There's going to be the most clear, pure water imaginable that we're going to drink from. Scripture tells us not only that, there will be sounds for us to hear. There will be places for us to go. Not only that, Scripture tells us there will be work for us to do. You say, what do you mean? Revelation 22 says, his servants will serve him. They'll serve him. Not only that, there seems to be a form of commerce or economy in heaven. Scripture says that in this city that comes down from heaven out of God, this new Jerusalem, the kings of the earth will bring their riches into it. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that heaven is going to be as real, no, more real than what you're experiencing right now. I suspect to all of you, earth is really real. The dollar bills that you feel in your hand, the food that you eat and taste in your mouth and then feel in your stomach, everything that you experience all around you feels so real. And if we don't have the right view of heaven, we're going to think of heaven as being not quite as real, not quite as tangible, not quite as something we can really sink our hands into. And the Bible says, no, that's not it. Your eternal life is going to be in earth It's going to be one you can feel and hear and taste and touch and experience with all the reality and more than it than you experience here. What picture of heaven is forming in your mind right now? I hope it's not that one, that ethereal floating around up there somewhere. I hope you're beginning to have a hope and a joy and a reality that earth is going to, that this new earth is going to kind of be like here, but just impossibly better. Impossibly better. You see, what I want to draw here is this connection between the first heaven and earth and the new heaven and new earth. Why I say that earth is redeemed even as it is replaced is because God is not simply undoing his work of creation that he did at the beginning and saying, let me try a new one. The devil changed my plans. He's saying, no, I'm going to bring us back to the incomparable hope that I had from the very beginning, a created earth in which I will fellowship with my people. And in that sense, friends, will earth be replaced? Yes, it will be. Will earth be redeemed and restored? Yes, it will be. It will be earth, just its most incomparably perfect earth. Let me give you an example. I brought something this morning. I brought a shoe. I got this shoe new, not too long ago. Now, I know 
there's something unbelievably clean about a white shoe, right? What's the problem with getting a white shoe? It doesn't stay white and clean very long. And you got to clean it. How many, of you, how many of you have spent, I don't know if it's a toothbrush, I don't know what you use on that white shoe, you're going to make sure that white shoe stays clean. But you know, at some point, this shoe's probably getting a little closer to that. The shoe just won't stay white anymore. And what do you do? It gets old. And you toss it, and you say, it's time to get a new white shoe. Now, I want you to think about it in this sense. When you get rid of that old white shoe and get a perfectly new clean one, you replaced it. But what did you replace it with? A white shoe. Just a better white shoe. Now, I want you to imagine, if I were to come up with you, some of you who have some really dirty white shoes and really old white shoes, and you're looking for a new one, and I said, I got a white shoe that's perfectly in your size, but here's the point. It's going to not only be in your size, it's already going to be broken in. You're not going to have to break it in. There's not going to be any times where you're going to get a blister on your foot because you've got to break that shoe in. Guess what? Not only that, it's going to stay white. You're never going to have to take a toothbrush to it. It's always going to be perfectly white. And guess what? These soles right here, they're never going to wear out. And you know the toe right up here that sometimes you lose something or you lose the lining of the shoe? That's never going to change. It's just going to stay a perfect white shoe forever. What the point that I would be making is I'm going to give you, I'm going to replace your old white shoe, but I'm going to do it with the perfect version of a white shoe. It's going to be yours forever. Another example would be if I made an analogy to our resurrection bodies. Will your earthly body be replaced? Praise God, yes, thankfully it will. I think of someone like my dad. You saw my dad waste away from cancer. Can you imagine if God rose up my dad in his resurrected body and he looked exactly like he did at the time of his death, full of tumors, skinny, wasted away, looking nothing like himself? Would that be heaven? Of course it wouldn't be. He'd be in pain all the time. He'd be miserable. Of course our bodies have to be replaced. But friends, your body will be redeemed because it will still be you. It'll still be your body. It'll be identifiable as you. It will just be the perfected version of your body with no pains, no sorrows, no sicknesses. It will be the best version of you with all the energy you need for eternity to do what God has you to do in the new heaven and the new earth. Was your body, will your body be replaced? Yes. Will it be redeemed? Yes. Will the earth be replaced? Yes. Will it be redeemed? Yes. With the best imaginable earth we could possibly conceive of in all its perfections. Friends, are you enjoying life on earth even in just tastes? Then I cannot tell you how unimaginably much you will enjoy the new earth. It'll be perfect. It won't be up there. It'll be down here. It's a new heaven, a new sky, and a new earth. And I want to uh, have us look lastly at earth reformed. Earth replaced, earth redeemed, earth reformed. Because this is where I want to focus on one phrase that I had never focused on until I studied for this message. And I wonder if you have too. 
Look with me at Revelation 21 and verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And I want you to read this last phrase with me out loud. And there was no more sea. Say that again. And there was no more sea. Now, what's the sea? The ocean. To the people of that day, the sea would have been the Mediterranean Sea. That's what they knew. And I want you to picture John. Where was John when he wrote this? The Isle of Patmos, in the middle of the Aegean Sea, with, with, uh, with Turkey to the east, Greece to the west, Egypt to the south, right out there in the middle of a great sea. What did John see whenever he looked out from where he was? Sea. And suddenly God gives him a vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And is it any wonder that for a man who'd been sitting, staring out at the sea every day, all day, suddenly says, wait, where's the ocean? This is different. Where's the sea? There was no more. Now, I want you to stop for a second, because I wonder if when you pictured the new heaven and the new earth, you pictured one without an ocean. Now, I wonder if that makes some of you a little bit sad. Because you love the ocean. You love a big body of water. I remember when I tra- traveled once, Tabitha and I went for one of our anniversaries. We went up to, to Boston, and we went north to the, to the south coast of Maine. And I'm, I'm just blown away by the scenery, these huge, just rocky crags and cliffs and boulders jutting out into this ocean and the foam and the huge waves crashing over them. It was unbelievable. It was breathtaking. And there are those who said, if heaven doesn't have an ocean, How can that be beautiful? How can that be perfect? In fact, some people say, I think this is just an allegory. I don't think John is actually saying that there won't be any sea or any kind of ocean. I think it's just a picture. Well, think with me for a moment. Why would there be no sea in heaven? Or should I say, in the new earth? Let me at least give three thoughts on why this sea might possibly need to be reformed in God's plan. I want you to think for a moment of the sea as a destroyer. The sea as a destroyer. Notice with me in chapter 20 and verse 13 that John says, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Isn't that an interesting thing? The perspective of John is to say that at that last judgment, the sea is going to release those that it brought to death and is now holding their bodies in a watery grave. The sea is going to give them up and they're going to be resurrected for judgment. Friends, we can't even comprehend how many bodies are in the sea how many lives the sea has claimed. I saw an article from several years ago that made the claim that 2,000 seafarers die every year in the modern world. 2,000. With all the technology of boating we have, with all of the communication systems, still yearly 2,000 people are claimed by the sea. And friends, how many countless more throughout all of human history have died at the hand of the sea? It doesn't surprise me when I think of that, that in a restored heaven and a restored earth, God would say, there is no more sea as a destroyer of my creation. What about this? What about the sea as divider? To the ancients, the sea was a place of mystery because all they could see going as far as their eyes could see was water. They didn't know what was beyond it. 
They didn't know where there were, there were people across there, kind of like we look up into the space and humanity is wondering, are there, is there anything up out there? We don't know. We can't get up there. These people looked across the sea as the divider. Even to this day, when we know the world, we know the sea, we have an idea of it. It is still that which divides people from one another. And I can see God saying in that day, in my restored, in my reformed earth, there will be no bodies of water that will divide my people from one another. They will be together eternally, no more separated by the, by the bounds of the sea. What about the sea as disturber? The picture that God brings throughout scripture is of the sea as being a place of unrest and a lack of peace. Jesus says, looking ahead to that great day of judgment, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. The picture of all the turmoil that we experience in this world today is a picture of the waves crashing upon the seashore even doing damage and creating a great roar. Isaiah 57 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Is, would it be any wonder that in that new heaven and new earth, God would say there will be no more turmoil of a raging sea? Now, friends, will there be water in heaven? Will there be water in that new earth? We know there will be because chapter 22 says there's a river. Now, I want you to think about that biblical picture of a river. What is the picture of the river we see in the Bible? A river of peace, a river of rest, a river of harmony that flows. And there's a sense, I think, here in which God wants to direct our eyes away from the distress and turmoil and turbulence of the world and toward the river of God that will be a picture of the peace and harmony and unity and rest that will prevail for eternity among God's people and among whom he dwells. Now, can I say conclusively there won't be any large bodies of water up in, in the new heaven and the new earth? No, I cannot. Perhaps all John is saying is there won't be the kind of sea we know that claims lives and that divides people. And that is a picture of unrest and trouble. But it is fair enough to say that the earth as we know it must be reformed before it can be a vehicle and a vessel for God's perfect restored humanity. Now, where does that leave us? A new heaven, a new earth. What picture is in your mind now of what that eternal life is going to be down here? I want to suggest something from our Old Testaments that I hope will be a help to us. Isaiah 65 Verse 17 and 18. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with us. Isaiah chapter 65. That's in our Old Testaments, near the middle of our Old Testament. If you are near, if you are in Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you need to go back a little bit. If you're in Psalms or Proverbs, you need to go forward a little bit. Isaiah 65. This is the prophecy that John is following up on in Revelation 21. In verse 17, 
Isaiah prophesies by the Holy Spirit, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. I want you to think about that for a minute. What's he saying? The former earth is not even going to be remembered. Say, what does that mean? I'll give you a, a little picture. Many of you know I said recently about the brain tumor that I had removed surgically um, over a decade ago. And I remember God was so gracious to me. I didn't have any coordination defects after that major surgery. I didn't have a stroke. I didn't have any really significant uh, consequences of that. But you know what I did have? I noticed that this side of my head felt different. And the reason was because my nerves were affected. And my nerves were just different on this side of my head than they were on this one. And you know, it's very interesting. I don't remember what it is for this side of my head to feel different than it does now. It just feels this way. And if I scratch this side of the head and I scratch this side of the head, it just feels different. That's the only way I can tell how I used to feel over here. It's just a new normal. I can't remember it. Here's the point. Isaiah is saying in that new heaven and the new earth, you're not even going to be able to remember the old one. If there's no sea up there, no one's going to be thinking back saying, oh man, I really wish that ocean that I used to participate in. No, you're not even going to remember an ocean because the new normal is going to be so breathtaking. Friends, I don't even know that there's going to be a sun or a moon. Scripture says there's not even, we're not even going to need the light of the sun. And whether that's saying there's going to be no sun or we're just not going to need the light of it, I don't know. But friends, if you don't see a sunset in heaven, there's not one of you who's going in that new earth, not one of you is going to be saying, wow, I really missed that. I remember how glorious that was. Why? Because it's going to be so perfected, you're not even going to remember what the old normal was in light of the new one. But keep on going. Isaiah 65 in verse 18 says, But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy rejoice in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. You say, what's God getting at? He's saying that the new heaven, the new earth is going to be all joy. Is going to be created so that his people rejoice in him perfectly and he rejoices in us. Friends, I wonder if the picture that you'll have from heaven, from the new heaven and the new earth from henceforth, will not be so much about what you experience, but it'll be just this joy. What will the new earth be? Joy. Joy in God and God's joy in us. Friends, how many of you who are parents know one of the greatest feelings that you can possibly experience is watching your young children enjoy themselves? Doesn't it just melt your heart? You see your young children rejoicing in something that you have provided for them and you just say, I just want to capture that in a bottle forever. But you know how much more when it's you they're rejoicing in? When it's spending time with you that is making them the happiest they have ever been. And now I want you to picture God. God creating a new, replaced, restored, redeemed world in which all of his children are rejoicing in him and all of his goodness like a young child rejoices in his parents. 
and even more powerfully that as God looks at us and all of our joy in him, he rejoices in us. What is a new heaven and a new earth is joy. And it will be joy forever. What does that mean for us here on earth right now? One thing that it means is this. Are you suffering? Are you experiencing the turmoil and the turbulence of this world? Is your body racked with pain? Are you dealing with the pain of broken relationships? With loss and suffering? Joy is coming if you are in Jesus Christ. Joy, eternal joy. Down here, not up there. Secondly, are you experiencing joy here on earth? You know, friends, we are trying to create a heaven here on earth with everything that we're doing with technology and prosperity. We are trying to create that heaven. And some of us feel like we're experiencing a little bit of heaven on earth. But I just want to assure you, friends, don't sink your hands into this life. Because the next one is going to be so more, more immeasurably beautiful, you're not even going to remember the joy of this one. It's not even going to come to mind once. Why would you invest in this one when you can invest in the one to come? Second Peter 3, Peter says, Seeing then that all these things will be dissolved, what kind of persons should you be right now? What kind of persons should you be if what we see today is going to be replaced and is going to be redeemed in something incomparably better? But there's one more thing. Friends, that new heaven and new earth is only for some people, not for everyone. We read about it right here in Revelation 21. Verse number seven says, or verse six says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst or that is thirsty of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. You say, what is it to find our way in that new heaven and earth? It is to take of the offer of salvation that Jesus gives. It is to trust him wholly for salvation and in that faith to overcome all that is put in front of you here on earth. Those are the ones who will partake of that new heaven and the new earth. But notice what he goes on to say in verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable, those that are wicked and murderers and whoremongers. Who are whoremongers? The sexually immoral. And sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Friends, as we concentrate this morning on the joy that is promised us in a new heaven and a new earth, I plead with you this morning, are you going to be there? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you walking in the faith that is overcoming what is placed in front of you right now? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God? I hope today a picture of that new heaven and a new earth, a new one has come to mind of a God who is making all things new, who will make an earth of joy for all of us to inhabit, but only all of us who have trusted in him for our eternal destiny. May that be each of us this morning.
Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the wonderful joy that awaits us eternally in a new heaven and a new earth. Father, give your people a greater hunger. Give your people a greater desire for that one eternal day for the hope that we have laid up for us in heaven. And I pray, Father, for if there's even one here this morning who doesn't know whether that earth will be theirs, they don't know whether they'll be there. Father, what a sobering thought. May your spirit bring us that place of examination and ultimately of trust that we need. We pray. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I sure would love to talk to any of you who don't know whether heaven is your home, whether the new earth and the new heaven will be yours.